Hello, and welcome to the Back Issue Spotlight on the Comic Book Page Podcast. My name is John Mann. In this episode, we'll be having a spoiler-filled discussion about an older comic book storyline. In this back issue spotlight, I'm joined by Eric, and we're going to be discussing Eternals 1 through 6 by Jack Kirby, published in Marvel in 1976. Eric, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, John. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Now, I got to say a couple of things before we actually get into these six issues. Jack Kirby, of course, is one of the founding fathers of Marvel. His impact on the comic industry, I don't think, can be overstated. The guy was just creative uh, powerhouse and got got the nickname of the King of Comics for a reason. That having been said, I'm not going to say I'm crazy about his art style or some of his projects. And the Eternals, prior to, to reading this, I mean, I, I'd read some of the other series. I remember when Cersei was in the Avengers. I mean, I knew of the Eternals, but if you'd given me a, a trivia quiz on the Eternals, I don't know that I'd have done that well. Matter of fact, I found the movie. It's like, oh, I, I didn't realize that was an Eternal or, or, you know, whatever. It's like, and I was curious about this, having seen the movie of where did they pull from the comics? Where did they, pardon the term, deviate from the comics? Because, of course, Deviance, Eternals, you know, that's part of it. Um, <laughs> and I found this, this kind of interesting, but much like the New Gods over at DC, this isn't really kind of in my wheelhouse as, as firmly as, as I might like it to be or, or whatnot. So, I mean, it, I'm glad I read this stuff, but am I going to say I'm just this wild fan of it? No, I'm not. <laughs> All right, fair enough. But you, you've you read some of this prior to us rereading it. I don't know that I'd ever read this original Eternal series. I'd read okay. other Eternal series and of the Eternals. Okay. I don't recall gotcha. having read this one before. Yeah, this is my first time reading this stuff. I have to admit, I'm, I'm a full-on sucker for Kirby. I love his art. Really, my, my love of Kirby art started in FF, just looking at how he, I don't know, I just love his, his art style, and it always stuck with me. I think his work on the Fantastic Four was some of his best. It oh, fit yeah. the property well, and he's got definite stylistic attributes, some of the foreshortening, some of the kind of big bombastic aspects of the art and stuff. It's part of his signature style, definitely, and there are parts of it that yep. are great. You know, Other parts yep. of it don't always work for me. But different people, different tastes. So I'm glad you're more of a Kirby fan. Yeah, I, and, and I'm, I'm a more of a Cosmic fan, too. So it kind of plays mm. into my wheelhouse there. I, I love history. I love mythology. And so really, this book kind of played into a lot of those facets. And I really enjoyed it. I thought, boy, this is actually a pretty novel concept on how these deviants, the humans and the Eternals, and how they came to be, and major events that we recognize through other teachings, change the lens on it and change how it interacts. And I just, I just thought it was brilliant. I thought that how it wove together, choosing the names mm -hmm. of the Eternals, it was just, I, I found it to be a joy to read and I enjoyed the art style. So for me, it was definitely pretty much tens across the board for the first six issues. I, I guess for me is part of it is I don't have those same sweet spots in terms of you know, godlike beings, and I mean, I appreciated how they were doing some some riffs on various mythologies and stuff like that, with the Eternals having 
the same names just pronounced differently. Like you could see how they were the inspiration for the stories of, you know, this, that, and the other. Yeah. But, and part of this is there is a very epic story going on in this series, but some of it just feels like it, it's happening. I don't want to say inexplicably, but you know, when, when Icarus under his, his pseudonym of Ike Harris is leading this uh, archaeologist to the uh, the underground chamber of the gods. It's like, okay, how, uh, he's Icarus. We'll, we'll figure he knew where it was because maybe he helped bury it. Who knows? But how did he get in with the professor? How did they all get to here? It's like, I guess that doesn't matter. We're just here. Let's run with it sort of a deal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there was a point where I was pretty sure Icarus was the god of exposition. <laughs> Yeah, it was definitely you got your money's worth out of it. There was no short uh short blurbs. Oh, absolutely. This this has some some definite content in it, no doubt. Well, see, and, and the way that I looked at it was and you know, without spoiling too much, it draws on the biblical past that we we're, we're taught those of us that, you know, were born and raised or, ex- or live as Christians. So it it draws upon that history, um predominantly I think Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. And it weaves in and out from there, as well as some ancient civilization. We'll, we'll just leave mm-hmm. it like that, so there's a little bit of intrigue. And the way that I kind of read into it, John, so you you were almost kind of like, I don't want to say frustrated, but like, where's the explanation for this? I kind of looked at it because the Eternals were really that, almost that bridge between gods and humans. Because mm-hmm. if we look at the arc of the, the deviants and the humans, and then you had the Eternals and then the gods. And I kind of felt like it was... One of those things, you know, we go to Sunday school or whatever, and you were like, well, how did we, how does anyone know that this story happened? Well, it was written down. Well, actually, this one wasn't written down. It just came in a vision in someone's head, right? And and I kind of felt like that was Kirby playing a twist on it where Ike was there. There was kind of like, you know, for lack of a better term, there was a star in the North Sky that he followed, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it was kind of one of these things where you have to go on a little bit of a divine journey to get there and then it's just all the pieces stacked together and and so that's how I interpreted it was there was kind of a divine reason which we found out you know the giant statue that comes down to to judge right I felt like that was kind of that divine like okay we've we've made it to the to the holy land to the, the birthplace of and now from the heavens comes this thing that's going to judge us just like you know as Christians we're taught that you know we're judged and we have two paths to go and um, so I just kind of, that was where my head went with it all. Maybe I went a little too fantastical with it, but that was the journey I took myself on. No, and it's definitely there and such. Uh, no argument about that. I guess for me, I was having a hard time finding a character I could really relate to. And it wasn't that I was frustrated with this story, but I felt a little detached from it. Mm. And again, I'm more for the, the you know, super heroics or science fiction or something like this. And this is a lot more in the mythology and, I don't want to say the, the fantasy realm, but you know what I mean. More things are, are happening, not explained, but just, you, I would say you've got to take them on faith or whatever, but you know what I mean. Yeah. And it was some major world building going on here with the origin of the deviants, the humans, and the Eternals, and, yeah. and all of that stuff. And, you know, again, the, the human race is going to get judged. I mean, there was some epic things going on here. Kirby clearly set out with it. This is the the saga he wants to tell. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it just, it points to the depth of creativity that Kirby had. Oh, absolutely. There's, that's one thing that can obviously never be questioned is, you think about one person and all of the 
the depth of properties that he came up with. And, and I know Stan plays a role in certain things, but you could argue it the other way for others. And, you know, I just, I remember back to hearing the story about Jack that one time he was driving, he and his wife in New York, and he rear-ended a, a, a parked police car. And ever uh, since then, his wife did all the driving. And the reason given was his head is somewhere else. He's not here paying attention to what's right in front of his face. He just mm-hmm. lives in this fantasy. And and it's his life's work to bring that fantasy to reality. And you can see that, like, to your point, this epic world building. And this is not the only place that he's done this, right? We've got the fourth world. We've got even his FF stuff. I mean, he takes you to a whole different place. And it's rich. And it's fully developed and fully thought through. And, and in six issues, it feels like the world is still building. Like, you, oh, yeah. it's not like, okay, we've built the world and now we're just going to write out these stories. There's still so much that has to be built into here or, or you know, I expect will be and could be. And I think that just points to the unmatched creativity that he has. Well, and after I read these six, I did go ahead and continue on because it's a 19-issue run with an annual. And I figured if I was ever going to read the rest, I may as well do it at this point. And it takes until, I think, issue nine to introduce Sprite, 11 to get Kingo. And I think 13 to get the Forgotten One or Gilgamesh, whichever name you want to go by. So, I mean, there's some major Eternals that we don't even get until a ways later. And again, if you were to take Kirby out of the Marvel Universe, that's like either taking the Marvel or the Universe out of it. I'm not sure which. (laughs) Right. But he's had his hands in so many things. And again, just a... And not to say he was the sole creator of any particular thing. I mean, he he was part of the team, but... He was one of the key players on that team. There is no doubt about that whatsoever. Right. Yeah, I you know, I just, I really ate this stuff up, just being kind of the the things that interest me. And, you know, to your point, like you had a hard time, you know, finding a, a character that you could relate to. Whereas for me, I almost like the, you know, like I want to step back and I just want to look down and see all this play out in front of me. I don't mm-hmm. need to be any one person. And this is a story that's just perfect for that. Because really, just sit back and watch the pieces on the chessboard move. Yeah, and there's a lot of movement, a lot of pieces, and not small moves either. This isn't a game of subtlety by any stretch. Right. You know, when you've got these giant aliens coming down and judging the planet, I mean, that, that, there's there's some pretty high stakes here. Exactly, and and it's, yeah, there's a time limit, right? And that's part of the, the whole plot, obviously, is that things have to be done within a timeline. And, and it's, you know, again, just incredibly clever how so many things that are brought up in here are so close to real life where mm-hmm. you have this choice, you know, path A or path B. And for its its time period, I think it's just interesting how it continues to relate today of, you know, how the human race is. And I think there was a line in there, and I can't remember which issue, I think it might have been five or six, probably six, where it, it made a comment about how humans are no longer afraid of the devil. And then there was still like seeds of doubt in some of them that were being questioned. And it was kind of like, yeah, you know, there's we kind of have this almost cloak of invincibility as humans at times where we're not really afraid of anything, but there's always that seed of doubt. Like, what if? Yeah. Oh, well, I'm having too much fun. I'm just going to keep going, you know? And, and I just, I find that to be a really nice little piece where even though there's this cosmic fantastical journey happening, it's yet another way to tie you into the story. And the names of the characters, like, what do we have? I think I jotted down, we had Zeus, Mercury, Icarus, Xerxes, Athena would have been like the names that we know. And of yep. course, they were slightly altered, like you said. 
And it was funny too, how almost all of them were like, Oh yeah, the humans couldn't pronounce it. They have some sort of speech impediment. So they said this. <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah. And, and I just thought that was clever. No, I enjoyed that. I mean, we got Makari instead of Mercury and stuff in issue five. Yep. We got Cersei early on. And of course, Icarus and whatnot. So yeah, we got ones that again, we could see what stories they inspired or what gods they were confused for or what have you. Mm-hmm. And I liked how, I mean, that gave it a sense of relatability in so much as, oh yeah, I've heard the stories of this character or that character. And it's not this particular variant of it, but that's what was inspired by or related to or something like that. Yeah, and, and the Icarus one was just fantastic with, you know, the correlation of, of Noah's Ark and he flies off. And I guess they thought I was a bird, you know, because mm-hmm. he's the one that can fly. And of course, Icarus flew too close to the sun. And then we had the escape and we saw what happened that led him to be put into a situation that was a little tricky to get out of. And it was just like, holy crap, this is so neat how how all those things could be woven from mythology, you know, our Christian upbringing, and just general life and all woven into one. It just, it was so much fun for me. One of the things I found kind of interesting is it took until the sixth issue to really start to kind of anchor this in the Marvel Universe. It wasn't until we got a clear reference to the thing of the Fantastic Four yep. issue six. Yep. Because other than that, I mean, it, it's a Marvel comic, so it must be there, but it, it's not like it was tied into the overall continuity from the get-go. Right. And I was okay with that. And they, they did some stuff a little later where I think S.H.I.E.L.D. is used a little bit in issue seven, and then further in the series, I think we get uh, a reference to the Hulk. I don't think it's actually the Hulk, but again, it's in his likeness and such. Right. But other than that, it's, I mean, it's not like Kirby needs to, you know, stand on the shoulder of the Marvel Universe. And I mean, hell, he built a fair portion of it, so he's certainly <laughs> within his rights to do that. Right. But again, he's such a, a creative individual. Uh, he could have filled, you know, who knows how many comics with new original characters, stories, and situations and not have to go repeat himself or, or leverage existing things if he didn't want to. Yeah, and, and I, I kind of like, so I only read through the first six, obviously, but I like the light touch when it comes to the greater Marvel Universe, because mm-hmm. I, I'm one who oftentimes can get, I guess, I don't know, that bored, frustrated, maybe at times. I don't like it when things just are so interwoven and like you've got a line-wide event that's 36 books and it, it's just, it becomes, it's almost too much baggage to carry along. And so I like the light touch where you can bring in the Ben Grimm references and you can do things like that without the story being dictated by the rest of what's happening or vice versa and i just i yeah it it plays nicely into my wheelhouse of things that i like and sensibilities that i like as far as how it was how it was written and of course the art for me I, i think you could not do a series like this today in quite the same way i i think either they would do a series like this, and the minute the Celestials touch down, you know, the X-Men, the Avengers, and everybody and their dog would come over and, and do something about it. Or they wouldn't, and it would feel oddly isolated from the rest of the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. But I think this, because of when it was set in the Marvel Universe, having some tangential connections made sense, not harping on them, and not having everybody and their dog show up also made sense. And let's face it, there wasn't a ton of room to be having the Avengers, the X-Men, the Fantastic Four, whatever, showing up here. There was plenty going on. Oh, yeah. There was there was enough of... Like, there were, what, three... Just looking through right now. Three or four different 
places where they were going back and forth. They had New York, they had the underground in the ruins, and then they had Mm -hmm. on board the ship. I mean, they were zooming around to a lot of different places. You had multiple connected storylines going together. Yeah, man. Just looking at these splash pages, too. For me, it's just a feast. Well, yeah. I mean, Kirby doesn't skimp when he does does the art and such. I may not care for the style, but man, he, he puts a lot of work into it and definitely fully realizes the world. And it's got his signature kind of look of the technology, you know, everything from the Kirby crackles on up and down. Mm-hmm. And part of what really got me with this is the first issue is only, what, I don't know, somewhere around 16 pages or something. Yeah, yeah, it's relatively short. It's short, but it's full. Yeah. I mean, he packed more into that issue than I think some current trade paperbacks have. Oh, gosh, yeah. This, I mean, the one issue could be an arc of Batman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, but yet it all, it made sense and... and... I, so, I don't know, um, what format did you read this in? I had gotten uh, a reprint. Okay. So, one of the trades. Yeah. I'm reading out of the uh, the recent omnibus that came out, I think it was last year. Mm. It was kind of cool because they have the letters pages in it. It's one of the few times that they've had the letters pages in an omnibus. They had, the first two issues had Eternal Utterings from Kirby, and then issue three on it had the letters pages that were written in with the responses. So, I thought that was really neat. That is interesting. I'm wondering why they decided to do that. I don't know, but I sure hope they continue doing that, because that's the only thing about getting collected editions, is that you miss some of that stuff. But yeah, this one, not at all. It's all there. Yeah. Well, then the other thing that makes the collected editions different than the originals is you frequently get a, a recolored version. Yes. And you may get the same colors, but it's... It pops. It pops in a way the originals don't. Yep. That's one of the things I've definitely noticed when comparing some of the current reprints I've got to like the DVD ROMs I got about 15 years ago where they just did scans of some of the com- of not well some of the comics all of the comics for various things and it's like okay you know the the colors yep they're more or less the same shade of blue or what have you but it's a flatter fuller color in the the recolored version sure. than they were just capable of back in the day it's it's a subtle difference, but it is one that I tend to, to notice, again, particularly when you're able to compare, you know, what it originally was and, and how they're representing it. Right. And I think for an artist like Kirby, having those cleaner colors and the more modern printing helps. Because there are a couple of pages, you know, particularly when you're getting all the, like, the carvings on the walls and stuff like that. It's a lot easier to make out. It pops a lot better in the newer printing. Yeah, I don't. I won't disagree with that. And it it's it's interesting too because I think by oh, I don't even know the right way. This is this is going to come out wrong. So everyone out there that cringes, I don't mean it the way it sounds. I I don't think. But you know, Kirby's art style is it's detailed, but it's simplistic compared to say like an art germ or a Delato or Perillo. There's there's so much depth and shading and and all of that. Whereas Kirby was working in a different era, so there's a different printing format and different capabilities of technology. And there's just something about his art and the way that the line structures are and how he had to, you know, change the width and and, and thickness and depth of his lines and his shadows to get the effects he wanted versus now where it can be digitally rendered and you can have perfect gradients and you can even go in and set the the angle of the lighting and, and, you know, have it do the work for you. Yeah. There's just something about the simplicity of his art and yet how 
deep it can be. I don't know. Just like I said, I can't describe it well other than to say, to me, it's just fascinating what he was able to do with the technology he had in his in his hands. Well, and he doesn't over-render things, but he's not light on detail either. Right. And there are rarely any panels where there's like just no background or anything like that, even for effect or something. So he's got a, a much more fully realized world in that respect than the average artist then or now would tend to do. Yep. His his style is a little more, I don't say blocky, but his anatomy is, again, he's got a signature style to it. Which, I mean, for me, any artist, when their style gets a little too recognizable, sometimes can get in the way of the story for me. But I think part of why his style is so recognizable is not only is it somewhat distinct, there's so damn much of it out there to go go see, you know? Right. Yeah, I, I, to me, it, in a way, it's kind of like John Romita Sr., his Spider-Man art. It's one of those things where you just look at it and you know who it is. Yeah. You know what it is. And it doesn't take away from anything. It just is so beautiful to look at. And I get that same kind of feeling from, from Kirby's art, no matter what it is. I just I look at it and I can't not know that it's him. And I, it just makes me happy. Yeah, there are a couple of artists out there from various eras that you take one look, it's like, okay, that's Gil Kane, you know, that's Jack Kirby, that's George Perez, or John Byrne, or, you know, whomever. Yep. And you only get that level of recognition if you've done a certain, I think, quantity of work and quality of work and have a a significant, you know, fan base or whatever. Right. And, And certainly, you know, Kirby has one of the most impressive resumes in terms of characters created, stories worked on, and stuff like that, that I think a, a, any comic creator could have. Agreed. Now, this is a comic from, from 1976, so as is kind of the, the style of the time, it's kind of wordy, but again, doesn't get in the way of Kirby's art. Of course, Kirby being the writer and the artist definitely helps on that, but that's also how this can be so epic and so eventful in a fairly short page count. Right. No, I I almost prefer. Well, I shouldn't say I prefer wordier comics. I prefer comics that have that are are more dense, but the story still has movement. Words for the sake of words is annoying. But to your point earlier on, what we were saying is that even though there there's a lot of words on these pages, there's a lot of world building. The story is building, yeah. and it's not wasted. And that's what I I appreciate. I like getting you know, for lack of a better term, more value out of my dollar. And I feel like with this era, I do. I get I get more value for my, my dollar. I get more time of enjoyment. Because I think that's one of the biggest disappointments for me reading certain comics is when it ends so quickly. Yeah. And you're just like, well, what the heck, man? We just got started and now we're done. And these were nice and rich, but I also didn't feel like it was a slog to go through. I, I, I again, was hoping I would have been more engaged than I was at various places in this. But what I liked is the story, things happened every issue. And while there were words on the page, there were a couple of places where, yeah, there's some exposition dump, certainly with Icarus at the beginning, but you got to set everything up and you got 16 pages to do it. You're going to need exposition. That's a given. Right. You know, but in other places, it's not like it was just mindless banter or people talking for the sake of talking or a hidden issue where really didn't feel like anything changed from the beginning to end. I mean, where this is at by the end of issue six versus where it started at the beginning of issue one, so much has gone on there that by current standards, it's almost mind-blowing. 
And I'm sure there would be some people that would look at these pages thinking, oh my God, there's so much to read there. Right. By modern standards, yeah, sure, probably, but you get the the story content uh, to go with it. So it may not be for everybody, because I do think some modern readers would have problems with anything from this era or the Golden Age or, or some stuff like that. Yep. But certainly if you're going to try something of this era, going with Jack Kirby is, is certainly not a bad choice by any stretch of the imagination. And while it's a completely different story, I think anyone who enjoyed, say, The New Gods should check out The Eternals. It's a different Absolutely. story, but it's it's got the same godly, epic, overarching saga-type stuff going on. Yeah, and anyone who is a cosmic fan, this hits right in there, or kind of a history buff, you know, like ancient civilizations, mythology, yeah. any of those things, they all, they all fit well. And yeah, I for me, I'm going to keep reading it. Obviously, I have the omnibus, so I have no reason not to. But I am going to keep reading it because I thoroughly enjoyed the first six issues. I, I will admit that I read the a couple of the issues from the Game and Run, and it just didn't do it for me. But I'm, I'm I've never been a huge Neil Gaiman fan, so I wasn't, I guess, too shocked about that myself. So if you tried the Eternals, the Game and Run, and it wasn't really your thing, but some of what we talked about now sounds interesting, it, it's probably worth going back and checking. Well, certainly, I think if you've had some exposure to the Eternals and want to learn more, going back to the source material is a good call. And again, as I was reading through this, having you know recently watched the the movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and I'm like, oh, okay, their take on Kingo here. He's a, a famous Japanese movie star. They went in a different direction in terms of ethnicity and whatnot, but it was still the same basic core character. So they they kept the essence of the character while changing a little of of maybe the look of the character to to be a little more representative of the modern culture or something like that. I think the biggest change they made was in the movies was with the deviants and such. But, I mean, they had so much here to work with that I, I think you almost have to, I don't say simplify the concept to make it work as a movie, but you're certainly not going to be able to tell, you know, a 19-issue a arc of any comic, much less of, of one of Kirby's back in the 70s as a movie. So, you know, yeah. Right. And these characters have gotten folded in more and more to the Marvel Universe over the years. Again, a few of them have been Avengers and, and stuff like that. But I think this is one of their side properties that they're trying to make another push with at the moment. And there's nothing wrong with that. They've got it. Why not try to leverage it better? Yeah. But it's not one that I consider to be a tentpole or pillar of, of the Marvel Universe in the comics. But I can totally see where, again, you know, Kirby starting it off and, and running with it for, what, two years thereabouts? I forget how long the series lasted. I know it was 19 issues, I just don't remember how frequent. Yeah, that, that gives it a, a fairly solid foundation to, to build off of later. Absolutely. So like I said, I've already kind of gone through the rest of the run. I thought it was, was good, but again, the type of story it's telling, I think you nailed it. If you're into mythologies, history, epic sagas and stuff like that, you're definitely going to get your money's worth with this series, I think. That just wasn't so yeah. much what I was really looking for at the time. And that's fair. I, not everyone can enjoy everything the same. Yeah, yeah. Anything else? No, I think I'm good. Cool. Recording clips for the preview Spotlight episodes is easy, and we've got an open submission policy for these episodes. Please send in clips to support the comics you love as often as you can. 
If you'd like to get email reminders for the preview spotlight episodes, you can join the emailing list on the main page of the comicbookpage.com website. The deadline is typically the second Saturday of the month at 9 a.m. Check the main page of the website for more information and the exact deadline for the next preview spotlight. The show notes and form for this podcast can be found at www.comicbookpage.com under the podcast and forum sections of the website. Please email us at theguys at comicbookpage.com and let us know what you think of what was discussed in this episode. Thanks for listening.